Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke and in this podcast series I'll be sharing conversations with colleagues exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice for your medical practice. In this episode we're talking with an expert ENT surgeon about globus pharyngeus. Globus pharyngeus is an intermittent or persistent non-painful sensation of a lump or foreign body in the throat and is a common reason for ENT referrals. It was first described by Hippocrates 2,500 years ago, who thought it was due to pressure on the thyroid cartilage from strap muscles of the neck. And for a long time, it was inappropriately referred to as globus hystericus. We now recognize the condition as often, but not always, reflecting hypertonia of the upper esophageal sphincter. Etiologies such as gourd, which may be silent, esophageal motor disorders, which are often nonspecific, pharyngeal inflammation, malignancy, hypertrophy of the base of the tongue, thyroid disease, and yes, also psychogenic factors such as anxiety and stress all need to be considered. The condition is often encountered in gastroenterology, where up to 38% of patients with GORD have globus-like symptoms. It's more prevalent in those with non-erosive reflux disease or NERD. Such patients may respond well to an eight-week course of PPI. Now, to expand our knowledge further and to explore appropriate workup, alarm symptoms to look for, and management, we're joined by Adnan Safdar, head of ENT at Monash Medical Centre. Please welcome Adnan to the podcast. Adnan, I'm giving you a working over here. Thank you for coming back and talking with me again on Everyday Medicines. Uh, um, there's so many interesting aspects to ENOS and throat. And, and Quite a, quite a crossover between ears and throat surgery, your specialty, and gastroenterology. And one of those crossovers is with the discussion of that, that symptom that um, uh, is often not very well uh, managed, the globus symptom. And from my reading, Hippocrates was the first person to thoroughly describe that two and a half thousand years ago. Yeah. Yes, and he thought that it was the strap muscles of the neck that were pressing back on the thyroid cartilage. which we now know that there are other, other uh, factors at play here. But... Uh, from my reading, about four percent of ENT referrals have to do with globus. Is that right? People think they're choking and they've got something awful down there, I suppose. Would that be your experience that the four percent or so, or like a reasonable proportion at least, of patients are coming to you, and up to forty-six percent of people in the community have some kind of globus symptom? I'm not sure that I would agree with that from my experience. But what's your take on globus? What is it, and how do you approach it? Thanks uh, once again, Luke, for giving me the opportunity. Yes, globus is certainly a common symptom that we. Uh, uh, deal with on a on a regular basis. Um, I guess uh, um, the numbers that we just mentioned are probably correct with regards to mm. the frequency. Um, more common in females yes. and um, mm. middle age would be the uh, the age group that we'll deal with. I think it's very important to, once again to remember that uh, even though that it's considered or was mentioned as a global symptom, um, my preference is not to use that word that often mm. uh, because mm. uh, it's confusing. Word. It's confusing, and also sometimes uh, it can be. It can actually mean to the patient that they are not being taken very seriously. Mm. Because the word is globus hystericus, mm. and uh, you know hysteria or kind of uh, anxiety is, is mm. well associated with it. Mm. But I think as we've come along um, over the years, we are now starting to understand this condition a bit more. 
yes. and try and identify exactly what it is and why is it, okay? Mm. And uh, more and more, once we know about it, I think uh, I'm walking away from this uh, particular word globus for that matter, even though that it's very commonly used, uh, I think um, we, we can use other other words such as, you know, feeling of a lump in your throat or else kind of uh, uh, choking on food or, or dysphagia or, or dinophagia. So those would be uh, sometimes I would usually use, but um, mm. I'd be very reluctant to use the word globus, yes. I think a lot of patients, are, they refer to, to the NT specialties, uh, but equally they're referred to gastroenterology because there is this link yes. with, with reflux. It's said to, that up to a third of patients with reflux have some degree of mm-hmm. that, you know, lump in the throat globus and more with the non-erosive refluxes because they get some gastric content maybe coming up into the upper throat or often they have a degree of, uh, of uh, hypertonia developing the upper yeah. sphincter to protect the airway. That's right. Um, well, so what, what there are there are things that from the ENT perspective. So there's reflux, which is something that uh, that you'll immediately consider when you're seeing the patients I know, and we've often had patients that were shared in, with this problem. What are the other sort of ENT type issues that we should be thinking about? So Luke, uh, I think. Uh when the assessment of patient comes in with globus-like symptoms, uh, the the key aspect is the duration of the symptom mm. um, and uh, and the frequency of the symptom. Um, a lot of times, these uh, symptoms have been there for months, maybe years, and are intermittent. Uh, occasionally, varying in severity. Sometimes they become more obvious or prominent or disturbing to the patient, and at other times the ease, such as a patient would mention quite frequently when I went on holiday, I could never feel it. And when I was back working, you know, I, I've become more aware of it. And, you know, when I'm back home. So those are the type of kind of scenarios that we deal with. The other thing is, is it getting worse? When you ask the question, is getting worse? Is it associated with difficulty in swallowing? If there is associated difficulty with swallowing, is that getting worse? Is it for solids? Is it for liquids? Mm. And if it's for both, how progressive is it? Is it constant or intermittent? And those are the things that usually are missing in, in a patient who's got globus. A lot of times they have no difficulty. In actual fact, eating, I don't feel it. Yeah, yes. Eating makes it better, mm. you know? Mm. So th- that's where, so, so a tumor is the main concern that we usually, or anybody would have, in particular patient presents with globus, have they got a mass yes. uh, that is obstructing and is giving yeah. them that sensation. And that, if, it, if there is a mass, the, the symptom is always going to be constant, it's going to be progressive, and certainly gradually painful. So if those three things are missing, then you can be rest assured that, you know. Mm. And there was a, a study done in the, in, in, a, in the UK which came out with the fact that majority of patients who have got globus-like symptoms are highly unlikely not to have anything sinister. So if, if they have that kind of symptoms, you can easily exclude them as having cancer. Mm. So there's a high probability that they do not have anything sinister. So there's some reassurance immediately for them. Yeah. Yeah. It still can be quite a difficult problem to treat if, if we're seeing them from the gastroenterology perspective or we'll put them on PPIs for eight weeks and do an assessment endoscopically <clears throat> and potentially even dilate the esophagus. Sometimes that's a helpful thing, not always, but uh, sometimes. To, what about from, from the ENT perspective is... You probably do much the same, but is there, is there another approach that you have to management? So there are other, other things that can lead to uh, a sensation of lump in the throat. Uh, 
And, and and I must say that a lot of people who, have, who present with these symptoms have an associated symptom of excessive mucus or phlegm in their mm. throat, mm. and that can be a reflection of excessive amounts of mucus in the in the oral cavity from the reflux that they're getting. Mm. That mm. is a, a, to my understanding, a, a reflex that tends mm. to equalize that acidic production yes. by mucus that's produced in the oral cavity that it can't You're trying to work like water pressure. Exactly. Yes, that's mm. right. Mm. So that's that's what, what I feel. But at the same time, there has been recently a lot of work, an association found between reflux and sinus pathology. Mm. You might, one might think, oh, the sinus are too far up. You know, mm. how come there's acid going there? But they, I must say, there has been recent and uh, there have been recent publications that have actually looked at that association and found that they might be in patients who have got severe mm. reflux. Mm. So we always, as an impaired treatment, offer nasal sprays and washes uh, for the for the management of these patients. Always. Okay. Does that work? Does that work? You, you, your experience, sure. It, it can work because yeah. uh, yes, because mm. if people have very thick nasal secretions, mm. they go and sit in their larynx, giving them a sensation of a lump. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. I've never done a saline um, flush. Flush, yes. Neither have I. I know that I inadvertently have swimming, <laughs> but not, not necessarily otherwise. Uh, what else should we know about about globus? What, what are the other things that we should think about? Thyroid disease, I guess, is something we have to consider. There are those psychiatric or emotional factors that sometimes come to play. Um, I think uh, the important thing is uh, to try and determine that there is. Um, uh, or what the cause of the symptom is, try and help the patient, okay? Yes. Uh, firstly, obviously, we've mentioned the fact that, yes, most of the patients are likely to have a serious pathology, yes. but yet they are distressed. Yes. They're a group of people who are seeking help, yes. and they will go door to door uh, yes. trying to determine what the cause of the problem is because they're anxious inside. I think so, it's the position of the neck too, or exactly. something in my neck, yeah. like someone's stroking. So I think it's very important, as you say, uh, mm-hmm. for us to try and, identify what the cause of the problem is, and then deal with it. And I think there are a number of things that you've just said. Yes, there's a thyroid in the vicinity that you can try and exclude. As much as I try and avoid doing that because the thyroid is rarely, rarely, unless it's a very, very obvious massive goiter, mm-hmm. the cause of this globus-like symptom. Because I've seen many patients who've had their thyroids taken out in the hope that it will clear the globus symptoms. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. Yes. On the contrary, mm. cricopharyngeal spasm is one of the lead causes yes. of uh, globus-like symptoms and can be, if treated appropriately, can actually lead to... Have you yeah. injected Botox into the cricopharyngeus? I personally have not, mm. uh, but I have sent patients for Botox injections to clinics which do this or provide the mm. service. But I uh, have performed cricopharyngeal myotomies mm. uh, and have also done quite a few balloon dilatations. Yes. Uh, I would usually do balloon dilatation to start with as a, a measure to see if it's actually going to make any difference. And if the patient responds to that, then mm. I will do the much more invasive operation of myotomy which is a bit more riskier with uh, you know a risk of perforation and and obviously uh, abscess localized abscess formation or leakage into the mm. uh, pre space are there any consequences to cricopharyngeal myotomy longer term let's suppose there are no immediate con- consequences or i guess uh, to cricopharyngeal myotomy one of this obviously the immediate risk and in the longer run, obviously you can lead to stenosis and recurrence mm. is is, mm. is are factors that can be issues mm. uh, obviously and if they suffer from really bad uh, severe mm. reflux disease again kind of you know they have lost that protection
So. I know the pharyngeal pouch is a different sort of problem, and it, you know we've shared a few patients with pharyngeal pouches and they've had to be operated on. But do, do you think sometimes uh, that lump sensation can be because of a pouch? It's a it's a different yeah, sort of story. Generally. I think I think that it's, it's, it's a very story. different story. Yeah, it's not like you know a lump like story. It, the, the story is usually difficulty, progressive, as I said, progressive difficulty in swallowing. And the classic s- symptom that patients with uh, a pouch have is regurgitation of food yes. after a meal. And sometimes it might happen several hours after the meal or else the next day they might bring the food they had the last night, uh, the night before rather, uh, that they would bring up. So that is a classical kind mm-hmm. of, you know, giveaway point mm-hmm. when somebody says, oh, usually, I, you know, after my meal a half an hour or an hour later, I usually, you know, cough up. up or bring it up yes. so what i just had yes. you know and a lot of times it's not not even you know it's chunks of what went down so that's the giveaway for a pouch to not just an insult to the show <laughs> um yeah uh what you i know this is not quite the same as globus we're just expanding the conversation a little bit but in regard to pharyngeal pouches which are very difficult to manage from the medical perspective uh, we really don't have anything to offer them we might dilate the esophagus and preferentially hope that we're opening up the esophageal channel uh i don't find that's all that useful helps a little bit but um what's your feeling about you know about the surgical approaches do you do you have any comment to make about that so for uh, um, pharyngeal pouches pharyngeal uh, i think one of the one of the uh, techniques that's well established now and has been around for many years now and it's considered to be relatively safe is endoscopic stapling uh, which I think is a very good technique. Um, it was um, when I was training as an ENT registrar, uh, was a time that this uh, technique came around and, uh, you know, I was uh, studied. Initially, there were problems, but over the years, it's been uh, found to be been very, hard. very, very uh, do, safe. There are often older patients. And do, you, do you have any concerns about the... Uh, this is, this is the, the thing about uh, the endoscopic stapling uh, technique is that, you know, it is, it is the best thing that you can do uh, in, in a patient who is very frail mm. and, you know, probably not going to be a, a good candidate for a prolonged operation, doesn't want a significant risk. But mm. again, there are risks associated with the stapling too. There's risk of perforation. Mm. Uh, but you can explain to them that that risk is low. Mm. Uh, and, and, and obviously uh, the success rate is significantly high. It's a non-invasive uh, procedure and they can be out of hospital within a few days' time mm-hmm. and be back swallowing again yes. without a significant scar or, uh, you know, period of hospitalization mm-hmm. or period of uh, uh, healing required. Mm-hmm. It's a great, Well, that's a great intersection between gastroenterology and uh, and ENT and to have right. you there to help out is, is tremendous. And now thank you very much for coming back today and on this program and, and I really enjoyed that discussion with Long Globus. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Adnan as much as I did. In gastroenterology, we see a lot of patients referred with globus-like symptoms. And whilst esophageal dilation, dilating the esophageal sphincter may be helpful, our mainstay is use of acid suppression when reflux is the underlying etiology. During the podcast series, we will be covering a wide range of topics across many specialty interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed 
and maybe email to manager at gihealth.com.au.